talk about this a lot. We're really into celebrating every win because when you make a movie or an app game or anything you're doing, it takes a long time. So every time something good happens, like whether we 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 celebrate every night we come home from a day, we're like, we just wrapped a day. We just have like footage, you celebrate. And then, you know, throughout the process of the filming, I recommend like if you you finish the edit, go celebrate. You finish sound design, go celebrate because it, it keeps you excited throughout a very long process that if you wait till it's all done and complete you'll be so like you'll take the joy out of getting to just every time pat yourself on the back and go i just got through that process okay and it keeps you going hello and welcome to episode 54 of the hollywood hustle podcast where we are sharing the story of a producer actor author and more attempting to climb the ladder of success and how she survives the city of dreams, Los Angeles. Hello everyone, I am your host, Daniel Tuttle, and I am so excited to finally lead my first intro and outro, and even happier that it's to share with you the conclusion of our interview with producer and actress, Alexandra Boylan. As the interview concludes, you'll hear how Alexandra used her move to Albuquerque to truly jumpstart the dream she had since she was a little girl of being in the entertainment industry. You'll hear how a new job opened her eyes to a new way of thinking and the process of getting her first feature, Home Sweet Home, made and sold. You'll also hear about her extending to making faith-based films, how she works with her budgets, what it means to truly have a team working with you, and we discuss Alexandra's new book, Create Your Own Career in Hollywood, Advice from a Struggling Actress Who Became a Successful Producer, which is available now on Amazon. Speaking of Alexandra's book, Make sure to stick around after the interview because our producer, Michael Lutheran, will be joining me to announce a new show contest where you could win a copy of Alexandra's book. We also catch up on each other's weeks. We talk about the interview and so much more. But now let's get to this conclusion of our awesome conversation with Alexandra Boylan. Then I'll catch you on the other side. Let the hustle begin. differences between LA and Albuquerque huge so <laughs> I I went out there because I heard the film make the film world was booming but I really went out there to give up mm. I admit that I was like okay God I have been trying to guide my life and it hasn't worked I've and I'm gonna give it to you and I'm not gonna do what any more of this I'm not gonna wait tables that was a big thing I was like I need to find another job because I'm gonna be 40 still waiting tables mm -hmm. so I went and heard about um home instead senior care and I was like I'll be a companion to elderly people I had spent 10 years where my life was all about myself wrapped in my own little head that I was like I'm gonna go do something that has something to do with somebody else right? Like, I'm so sick of myself. I don't want to talk about myself. I don't want to know about myself. I'm going to go sit and listen to other people's stories. That was a great job I got because I really, really loved hanging out with old people. Oh my gosh. I learned, I listened. Um, and I really spent, my friend Raquel Cantu had moved to New Mexico. So I had one friend and my brother lived in Santa Fe. So I knew a couple of people, but I spent a lot of time alone. I have a dog and he's now 12, but my dog and I used to take like 
three hour walks every day. And I just was refocusing. I was like, I think they say New Mexico is like the land of enchantment. It was like the land of, I'm going to start over, refocus. One of the great things about Albuquerque is it is, when I went out there in 2009, it was a tiny film community Mm -hmm. and getting tapped in was actually very easy. And because my brain was, I've given up acting or I've given up this, I was now open to talk about any parts of the film industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had told, I was told not to be an extra or a stand-in in Los Angeles. Well, when I got the opportunity to Megan Fox's stand-in, I said, of course I'll do that. Cause now I'm not saying no to anything. Right. Now it's yes to everything. And, and I, and, um, so when I moved out there and I, I right away got an agent through, uh, auditioned through my agent and I got cast in a short film. And I became friends with a man named Rick Galley. And I told Rick Galley that I wanted to make my own movie. And I said, I wrote this script. And he said, I'll direct it. And this is no joke. This is what's hilarious about New Mexico. So everybody in New Mexico is working on union shows, making union wages in a low income state. Mm-hmm. So it's like my rent was $400. When I, and I had a house with a backyard and a garage and a washer dryer. And I'm like, I got out there and I'm like, they're giving everything away in New Mexico. <laughs> and I was like, a $400? What? Okay. So I. New Mexico. We'll yeah, just give it to you. They give it to you. It's a, you know, you only make $9 an hour. It's, it's, it's low income, but it's also a cheap place to live. Mm-hmm. And so I meet Rick Galley and Rick and I, Rick's like, send me your script. I'll direct your script. I'm looking for something to direct. Mm-hmm. So easy. I found a director. He read the script. He's like, I love this. Let's shoot this movie. And I was like, great, let's shoot it. I want, like he starts lining everything up. I come to set on day one and we have a crew of about 30 people, some of the most top of the line equipment. And I'm like, what is this? I thought it was just be like four of us in our living room <laughs> shooting stuff. He's like, no, my buddy over there came my buddy. I got all my buddies have showed up to make this movie wow. because all of them are working electrician jobs on set. So when they get a chance to make a film, they're excited to get to do what they love to do. And they have the money and the time that on their off time. So I was like, oh my gosh. And that's how I got connected to my entire team that I still work with. And that in LA, first off, it is so hard to find someone in LA to be like, hey, do you want to do something with me? At least Mm -hmm. back in 2008, finding someone to team up with you on a project, they would have been like, oh no, I got to work. I got acting class. I got something else going on. I think I'm going to watch TV. I'm I'm, like, I couldn't, you know, when I found Raquel do the play, it was amazing. She said, yes. So Mm -hmm. when I got out there and everybody was like, let's make movies. That was so different for me in LA. And because I wasn't under the financial burden that I was here, we all could take the weekend and go shoot something or take a week off. That's Mm -hmm. so different. Well, you know, I think the the problem has kind of turned a little bit now instead of, oh, I have to work or I have this, I have this. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of talked about where you're able to make your own things a lot easier now. Everybody wants to do their own things. And so now going after someone like, hey, man, I have this script and I'd love you work on with me and we can find some actors. Let's put it together. And it's like, oh, but no, I'm already working on this thing with this guy or I'm already doing this. And I really want to work on this script that I've got. And it's just kind of like finding someone that's like, oh, yeah, let's do that. And then maybe after we can do my like finding that collaborative spirit where it's not just about me and my script and my what I want, my acting, me being in the movie. It's about yeah, let's do your thing and then we can do my thing. And then maybe if we can work on something together and then building a relationship that works together for each other. Well, I think you bring up a really good point because I always tell actors, don't make friends with actors because mm-hmm. you're just going to be competing for the Sorry, lead Michael. in your own. No, 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 no. <laughs> See, don't hang out. 
with actors now. Um, no, because you're going to be competing for the lead in your own movie. Right. Because they're going to be like, well, I want to act in your movie. Oh, that's the, and if you, uh, all my friends looked exactly like me. So who's going to get the lead part that looks exactly. And, but I think the other thing is finding people that want to do other parts on set. Like people were like, I want to be a gaffer. I mm. want to be a director of photography. I don't want to be the screenwriter. I don't, I, if I love the script. So you're right. It's hard, but then it's also finding people who are really excited to, especially I think, cause in New Mexico, my friends were all working as an electrician, but they all wanted to be directors and DPs. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them, it was like an opportunity to get to jump through the hoops of Hollywood and get to be the director of photography onto a movie. But I am really blessed that, um, and you know, it's funny because our team is such a collaboration that even when we came up with home sweet home, which I know we'll talk about, it wasn't nobody else on the team was like, Oh, it has to be my script. They didn't have scripts. Cause that wasn't what they're, they're not screenwriters. Mm-hmm. Like I actually had to go out and get a screenwriter. Cause none of us had written a screenplay before. Right. So I actually found someone else to write the screenplay, mm-hmm. but you're, what you're saying is extreme. And, and we're also in LA where everyone's creatives. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a crazy story recently happened that never happens in this town where a girl and I had lunch and she usually when I meet people are like, Hey, will you look at my script? And I'm like, Oh, we only do in-house scripts or, like, <laughs> or, um, or you want to make my movie. And I'm like, Oh, we're kind of only, you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how it is. But I was sitting across the table with this woman and she's like, I really want to join your team on the business side. I love numbers and I want to be your executive producer. I was like, I've never had anybody ever say to me, I want to be your executive producer. I was like, yes, you may join my team because that's, and it's like finding those people that want to do completely different jobs that I'm not, I don't want to be, I don't want numbers. I, I don't even want to look at the waterfall for a movie. Like I don't understand <laughs> right. it, but you're absolutely right. It's, that is, that is really, really challenge of how to find that. And I, I will say to this day, I was super blessed that I found these people when I did and it was all time. It was meant to be meant to be there at that time. I think, you know, it's, it's and this could be a whole nother conversation where about putting your ego aside Mm -hmm. and being willing to admit when someone knows more about something than you Mm -hmm. and accepting whatever offering, whatever words of wisdom or advice they're offering. And so I'm going, Oh, well I know that just listening and just, whether you agree with some of it or not, whether it fits your style or who you are, just listen. I think that's why we've we've had a lot of success mm-hmm. is because our team is so willing to be like that. There is no ego. And once we got to the process of the next phase of Home Sweet Home after making it, I would meet, I, I met a lot of people who knew better than me. And I said, I don't know anything about selling a movie, distribution in a movie poster of a movie you teach me obi-wan kenobi i had no ego i was like i don't know anything and i think you're absolutely right that it is really important i surround myself with people who are smarter than me well they're pretty soon they're going to figure out that i'm like not the smartest one they're going to kick me off the team no i'll kill them but uh but you know what i mean like i like to surround myself with people who are smarter and better than me so Mm -hmm. they'll bring me up right and elevate me and that's how you should always be thinking like Right. I mean, every I, I'll tell you this. That's been again something I've worked on recently. Like, like I think I told you on the phone why I started this podcast was to make more connections. And anybody I meet, I'm like, do you mind if I just text you randomly and ask you a question? Because that's who I want to surround myself mm-hmm. with is those people that have in some specific knowledge more than I do, mm-hmm. and that I you know we've we've become you know I've got built a really good relationship with a head of digital marketing strategy for a, a digital marketing company, mm-hmm. and so he's and he's great like I've messaged him he's looked at our social media and been so kind and it's like 
those are the people I want to build not just relationships, but friendships mm-hmm. with, you know. And, and I think that's so important, like you said. Be open to listen and build those people around you because you're going to be better in the and long then, run. And then, yeah, be open to do a different job on the movie than normally you want to do because you want to mm-hmm. get in with people. And I will say my mentality from L.A., all my friends were actors. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I had just been volunteering or PAing on other people's sets so I could have created a... a now, we can always say everything in hindsight, but mm-hmm. I... I didn't do that in LA. I was just going to acting class, waiting tables, waiting for someone to pick me, doing the same thing. And like, I wasn't surrounding myself with other independent filmmakers who are like, hey, let's run out and do a, except for Evan. Evan was my only friend. And I really wish I had done that. I mean, we could say, I wish, I wish, I wish I could go back to 1999 and go start writing and making your own stuff. But instead I got tunnel versioned and I was like, I'm just an actress and that's all I do. And I put all my tools in a little toolbox and I shoved them under a bed. And I was like, I'm just an actor. It was like the worst thing I could ever do because I wasn't writing and being creative. And when I went to New Mexico, I was like, I'm going to start writing. I'm going to start doing some other ways of creativity outlet stuff, you know? Right. So so how did Home Sweet Home come about? Your first film, right? The $10,000 yeah. budget. Um, where did the idea come from and how did what was the process of getting it just started? Yeah. I love it. So we have been our team, Rick Galley, C. McClellan, Michael, take notes. <laughs> Andrew Majorano, John Graham. We um, we have been making shorts. We did a web series. And then actually I was on the phone with my brother, Alex Boylan, who won the amazing race. It is Shout out Alex Boylan. Uh, Alex I spo- heads up, I spoiled our producer, Michael Luther, on you winning. He's on that season right now watching Amazing Race. I spoiled it. I apologize. But congratulations. And I was going to, I just almost, I spoiled it too by saying my brother won the amazing race. But. Uh, we'll put a spoiler alert at the beginning i forgot forgot, now i remember and i will say my brother lived with me in la after the amazing race and he often said to me stop this whole just trying to be an actor thing you need to do this you need to do that and i just like i was like i don't know how to do that great ideas but i don't know how to so i would say alex was a huge like get off your butt and work harder and but the problem is you cannot work hard enough for someone to pick you. So even if I thought I was working harder, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, someone else is is dictating your your mm-hmm. you as an actor. So when I moved to uh, so in New Mexico, so I'm talking to my brother Alex on the phone, and I'm telling him we're doing all these shorts, we're having so much fun, making a web series, and he's like, "Well, wh- yeah, that's good, but why don't you just make a feature?" And I was like, "I don't know. Why are we?" Making-? He's like, "Isn't it just like a bunch of shorts put together?" And I was like we should do a feature. Why not? So I turned to John. I was like, John, we should make a feature film. And he was like, yeah, we should. Why don't we do a feature film? <laughs> and he's like, you know, and I'd really love to direct it. Cause he was doing a lot of DP work. And he's like, I'd really love to actually direct. Let's, let's do that. And then we started the prop. My, him and I were driving somewhere. I can't remember where we were driving. We were talking about something we'd heard on the radio about squatters who are living in people's houses like in the attic or the basement and then when you go to work they'd come out and eat food and watch your television and this was like a thing yeah like where it was all on the news and we were hearing about it we were like that's so creepy like what if like you came home and someone else is living in your home and you become the the one invading it Mm -hmm. and i was like and then we knew we called john's parents and they said you can shoot the movie here at our property so we knew we had a house on 18 acres of land in Alamogordo, New Mexico. So we started coming up with an idea where how could, how could I play the lead about a girl who comes home to her childhood abandoned house and there's squatters living in it. So we called my brother, Andrew, who's also a writer. And we said, would you be interested in writing the script while we start figuring out how the heck to make our first feature film? And he said, sure. And so John and I actually drove out to 
Alamogordo to John's parents' house, like three and a half hours from Albuquerque. And we went and looked at the house. We took photographs. We described it to Andrew. We said, okay, here's all the things you can use in the script. We have like a, we have a door that they never built a deck. So it just opens up and goes to the ground. We got to use that. And then they have like a little trap door. You walk into this like closet. It's really creepy. So every creepy element and all the sheds and everything we sent to the writer and we said, write all this into the script because this is what we have to work with and we have no money for a location. So that was one thing that we did that was really smart. And then Kickstarter was just coming onto the mar- like onto the radar and John had heard about it. And we went online and we were reading, and we saw some of the very first Kickstarter stuff. Yeah, uh, when was it? What year was this? Just this so would have been 2010. Okay, just to 2010. I'm telling you, my years in New Mexico, I was only there a couple of years, but mm-hmm. I did so much out there right. compared to my 10 years in LA. <laughs> and so um, we did Kickstarter around 2010. Mm-hmm. We put it up and we raised $2,400, which was insane. We were like, that's so much money because <laughs> we had been making shorts for nothing. And we called up Rick Galley and he had a camera mm-hmm. and said, you want to be the DP? We called up C. McClellan. Do you want to be the gaffer? And they were all like, we all picked a time that we're all sort of on hiatus, not making anything because everyone's got to give up their job. And we um, we actually had a crazy incident that... We we flew out Lorena and Raquel. We flew out some of my friends. I casted mm-hmm. my girlfriends. And we had flown everybody out. And I had booked, and we won't go into this, but I had booked the producer's cut of Megan Ellison's movie, um, Passion Play, that they called China White. And I booked this part opposite Mickey Rourke. Hear more about that on Inside Acting Podcast. Yes, they'll go into that. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, it's funny because I was in LA when they started shooting. And, you know, the show must go on. So we had written it that myself and Lorena, who's my friend, could get together and then separate. But because I wasn't there, we had to make it that they could never find each other, (laughs) which actually is so much better for the movie. So I always say to people, let the happy accidents be there. When things get messed up, don't freak out. Go with it because it might end up being a way better part. So we casted my girlfriends. We got our team of awesome independent filmmakers who all said, yeah, I'll give up, you know, 18, 20 days or whatever. I'll give up that from work and I'll go make a feature film in Alamogordo. And we all lived in the house, shot in the house, literally rolled up our sleeping bags and started shooting. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, even when you say talk about pre-production, I mean, there was some pre-production, but I think a lot of it was just very guerrilla style. We were just sort of like, we had the camera, we had the sound equipment. Andy Majorano came out, was our sound guy. And I think half of it was just us having a lot of fun living in the house together, having breakfast. Right. Um so that's how that all started. Just saying, let's, we had no idea how to make a feature, but we're like, let's try it. Let's right. do it. It's just, about, we already know how to make a movie. I love that the, you guys didn't let like not knowing how to stop you. It was like, <laughs> let's figure it out. Figure it out. And that's exactly our entire, I mean, that's our whole entire life that's, now. That's your mission statement for your company. <laughs> Let's figure it out. I have no idea, but we'll figure it out. Don't you worry. <laughs> so that, and then we we did, we shot Home Sweet Home. They they shot a bunch of it before I got out there with the actors because I had already flown out the actors and I was like, we already paid for that out of our Kickstarter money. Mm-hmm. And then um, John's mother was really generous and she paid for all the food for us. So it was really no overhead except for like food and we bought a couple costumes and you just, we just, we literally used everything we had in that house, all, all the props and the guns. And cause she shoots off guns in the movie. Those are all John's parents guns. Mm. It's New Mexico. Right. Everyone has I guns in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's how we did it. And then we shot it. And then we actually had to, um, a great story about home sweet home. I don't think I told the actors mm. if I did tell me to stop, but um, 
when we were out there for the second round of shooting, when I was there, John had come to LA. We were driving my car, picking up Raquel, bringing her back. We found out that it was like one of the coldest fronts they had had in New Mexico and all the pipes froze and they live off of a well in New Mexico. So Flora and John Charles, John's parents call and say, there's no running water to the house. None. You guys can't shoot here. We're like, we have to shoot there. We're on our way. We have to shoot this. I have Raquel. I have the actor coming. I don't, we don't need to flush to flush a toilet and we don't need water. And because they're not on land, the, the, the town services, they are under a well. They have to do it themselves to find the pipe that broke, that can't get the water. So we shot for over a week in a house with no running water. We like, we would go to the neighbor's house to take showers and stay there sometimes. So I'm telling you, when the show must go on, like we went through a week and a half, no running water. Right. We couldn't wash the dishes after we ate. It was like we would be like piling dishes in tubs and move them out of the scene because mm-hmm. we couldn't even wash the dishes. So now I remember you saying on Inside Acting that there were times when it would be like just you and maybe John and like you're hanging a boom mic and he, you know, he's doing this. And so it was really everybody pitching in to do all roles. Everything. Like you didn't sit there and go, well, I'm not the sound person. So that's not my job, you know, not on an indie. Everyone's I was a slate girl. I called myself slate girl. I love doing all that stuff. But what happened was things took longer than you think. Mm -hmm. So we're shooting this feature and we're running out of time. And C. McClellan got a job and he's like, I got to go back. Any Majorano got a job. He had to go back. So Rick Galley, who is amazing and did not. He was like, I'm going to stay and make this movie with you guys and finish it. It was literally me, Rick, and John. And there was like days where we'd be like rigging the boom pole and there was a gag outside. So John had to run outside to do the gag while we're like, he'd like be like, okay, let me hit record. I got to run outside, time it with no one else telling you. And then just Rick shooting it. Um, and I mean, those are just the the funnest parts of it where you're just like, and there's, you know, you can shoot really fast that way because you don't have a chain of people to talk to. You're just like, are the two people in the room ready to shoot? Okay, we're going to shoot now. <laughs> like, is focus ready? Is sound on? Let's go. Right. You know? <laughs> and now, how many, how many, after you had, it was all finished, how many festivals did you submit? The, I did the 15 to 20. I can't remember, but it was between 15 and 20. And how many did you get in? None. <laughs> And what ended up happening with the film? We sold it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> now, now, what was it? Now, you talk about this in Inside Acting Podcast, but I want to talk about it here because I think yeah. it's really important that you you said on there that you sold it because of the poster. Yeah. And that you, it kind of helps you realize how important a poster is, which if you can look at it as a bigger picture, every small thing in a film or a part of a film is important. And don't overlook or just be like, oh, we can cut costs on that. So what was it about, you know, tell us about that. Part How of I it. found out yeah. about that. Well, yeah. So I had submitted to 15, 20 film festivals, nothing. I got into Albuquerque, but only because they were friends of ours. It was like, of course, we're going to show the Albuquerque movie at Albuquerque. So I don't really <laughs> count that. I love, thank you, Albuquerque. But it really, it was really, we were trying to get in like Palm Springs and real festivals that we knew maybe sales reps would be at. Um, and not, I didn't even really understand how to sell a movie at the time. I just knew I had this feature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I happened to go to a women in film event. And I stood up and said, hey, I have this horror movie and I don't know what to do with it because I didn't get in any festivals. But I made a horror movie. Yay. Yay. And I sat back down. <laughs> and I was like, and in the back of the room was a girl, two women called Bridget Jurgens and Jen Sparks. They own Dog and Pony Creative, which is a poster company. They came up to me immediately after the event. 
and they said, you have a horror movie? And it's, and I go, it's a female driven horror movie and the villain's a girl and the girl's a victim. It's really fun. It's different. She was like, send that to me. You need a poster. You are a horror movie. Why are you going to film festivals? You should just be going to market and selling it. And I was like, well, I didn't know that, but now I do. And Bridget Jurgens really mentored me. And it's like the whole of like, I knew nothing. I listened to every word that girl told me to do. And I did it to the T. Mm-hmm. I didn't say I know better than you. Do you have any independent filmmakers who've never made anything tell me that they're like, I know better than that. I'm right. like, well, then you go right ahead and do that. Don't take my advice. I don't need to waste my money at coffee. <laughs> you know, like, right. like I valued the time that Bridget gave me because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And she watched the movie and she was like, this is great. We can do something with this, but you need a poster. Right. Even if you go to Mar, even if you need to go to a film festival, you need a poster. Mm-hmm. So she goes, well, they had just started their company and they, um, they gave me a really good deal and they did my poster and I was waiting tables. I'm back in LA. John, I brought the movie back. I'm waiting tables. So I'm like hustling and John's dude has done all the post all by himself. John did all the post-production by himself on Home Sweet Home. He did color correction, sound design, editing. The poor guy. He was just like, and I was off waiting tables trying to support us. And so, um, now John's your husband. He right? is. He's right. my husband. Just want to make sure everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> he is, but he's also the director. Yes. We, we're 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 a filmmaking right. team. Really. He's part of the team. He's part of the team. He he's part of the team. He's the director. He's pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, he does it all. He's amazing. Um, and so he, um, so 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 Bridget, um, made us the poster, and then we did show at the Albuquerque Film Festival, we just showed White Sands because those were the areas where we made the movie. And I did everything she told me to do, which was do press releases with your posters, get out to horror bloggers, let them know about this movie. And that's how um, sales reps actually heard about my movie was through the horror blogging. And they came to me saying, hey, I want to take a look at your movie. I saw your poster. It's amazing. I mean, it's all the poster. And then actually Ryan Keller from Instrument International hired Bridget and Jen off of our poster. They saw it on their website. Wow. And he said, oh, I want to hire you guys to do it for my other client. And Bridget said, you know, that poster that you saw, they don't have a sales rep. And he was like, that poster doesn't have a sales rep. Send them to me. Mm-hmm. So they watched the movie. And that's kind of how the whole trajectory happened. Right. And all because of this incredible award. They actually won an award for that, for the Home Sweet Home right. poster. That's so that's so cool that like, the poster got you there that is uh, and i'm a huge fan of like just creating visuals like that so like it makes like it's like that's exciting that something like that you put your time and money into a good poster it can make all the difference in what happens to your movie and i try to tell people it's not only because they're professional they know how to do it good mm-hmm. but they also know what's going what's selling in the marketplace they're working with distribution companies and sales reps throughout right. the year so they can actually they can be ahead of the game and be like, hey, I know what's going to sell or I know what's saturated. And they can actually tweak your poster to be what they know American film market's going to want. So you're actually not just hiring professionals, you're hiring experts who understand what's selling in the marketplace. Because a lot of people be like, I swear I have this professional person who can do it. I go, but they don't know what Walmart wants. Walmart buys your movie off the poster. They get a sheet of, they get a sheet with a bunch of pictures and Walmart goes, I'll take that one, that one, that one, that one. So, if you're if you don't know what Walmart wants, you could be spending 10 years trying to make it right, right. and thousands of dollars, which has happened to people. But mm-hmm. Bridget and Jen, they know Walmart. So they're like, oh, we make a poster. We know Walmart has accepted all of our movies. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I was going to go through your yeah. other films that you made and just kind of, uh, as I mentioned, just kind of tell us like a little bit about where that came from and what you kind of took away from it as you did it. Sure. Um, so Catching Faith. <laughs> 
let's talk about that. Uh, obviously, getting into the spiritual faith-based yeah. uh, film market. Um, how did that come about, and what did you, you know, what did you take away from the process of making that film? Okay, so that's crazy because I am a minister's kid, but mm-hmm. I never, in my wildest thoughts, would think that I was going to be a faith-based filmmaker. Right. In fact, I grew up on those movies. They're really. A lot of them are not such great quality or a little cheesy. And I get it. They're hard movies to make. Yeah. Yeah, So I grew up on those. So I never thought I'd be in. I love horror movies and I love um, comedies. But what happened was our sales rep from Instrument International, we went to lunch with them and we had written a script called The Night Shift about a girl who works overnight shifts in a haunted nursing home. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. I want to make it, but that's for another day. It's really good script. It's about my true story of working with elderly people and how scary it can be. And um, so we were in a meeting for that movie, trying to pre-sell that movie with Home Sweet Home. And this is part of the, when the market has gotten so hard, you can't even pre-sell anything. People were like, great. I love that idea. Just show us the movie and we'll buy it. Mm -hmm. So Ryan, we were at uh, lunch and Ryan said, you know, horror is really oversaturated because everybody has a camera now. Everybody can make a movie and everyone's making horror movies. So if we go to the market next year with a horror movie, we're not going to sell like we did Home Sweet Home. That time was then. He goes, but you know what's really big right now? And people are buying them for higher budgets is faith-based family movies. There's a massive need in the marketplace for higher quality. And he goes, if you can make the quality of Home Sweet Home and Catching Faith, you're going to knock the competition out of the water. Mm-hmm. Ryan didn't even know that I was a Christian. He didn't know that my father was a minister. And so I felt like there was a little bit of a lightning bolt hit that table that it was like, you need to make these. And at first I was like, I don't want to make those. <laughs> I don't want to get put in that category. But then I walked away. John, I walked away. We had to have football. That was a requirement. He said it has to be a football family film. And I walked away thinking, well, wait a minute. I could do this for a market that I grew up with that didn't get great stuff. Yeah. Why don't I just make that like like for my little girl self, I'm right. going to make this movie. And I always do female driven because I'm insanely advocate of making more women driven stuff. So I said, well, we're going to do a female driven faith based film. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I told Ryan Keller that and Ryan said, "Ooh, we can't do that. There's no numbers in the marketplace to back up a female driven faith based film. And I was like, I know no one's doing it mm-hmm. but if we do it i bet we're going to prove it which is hard when you go to investors because you need to prove right. prove the model that they'll make money but we he was awesome and trusted us and i said we're going to do a female driven faith-based film john and i walked away from that and said let's do it let's start writing a film let's do it so we we ended up partnering with my sister who lives in wisconsin because she is a little more tapped into that world i live in la mm-hmm. i mean i don't live in the real world i don't have kids uh, you know what I mean? I was like, I'm not really, she's a minister's wife and she's very into her church. So she joined our team to make sure that we were speaking to our audience correctly. Just because I just, that's just, that makes sense. It's like making a horror movie. You want to make sure you know someone on your team that knows horror right. and knows the audience. So we started writing that script and um, we ended up coming to a place in our life where we could not make the movie and keep our apartment at the same time. So we decided that the movie was going to win and we put everything we owned in storage and we went on the road for a full year to make Catching Faith. And that was also a leap of faith because Ryan didn't actually have the money in the bank account to do it. So we were kind of like, if we, it's like, if you build it, he will come. We were like, let's just go. Let's do this. Let's write it. Let's, and then it was all going to happen. It was like stepping off a cliff and hoping that your parachute goes up. So we gave up everything in LA went on the road, mm-hmm. went and lived with my sister for three months writing the script in Wisconsin, traveled and lived in New Mexico. We lived all over the place during that time. Mm-hmm. And because in Wisconsin, 
we were writing the script, the community started hearing what we were doing. And they were like, well, why don't you come make the movie here? What do you need to make the movie in our town? That would be great. And we were like, well, we need football stadiums. We need this. We need that. They're like, you can have it all free. Wow. Here's, a, here's our football stadiums. Here's locations. What do you need? That's awesome. Awesome. We were like, okay. And they don't have a tax incentive, but we called Ryan and we're like, this town has pretty much offered us everything we need. Mm -hmm. Who cares? And we only had $75,000 anyway. That's not much for a tax incentive. Mm -hmm. So, and Ryan told us when we called him, we were like, we pretty much had lined up everything. We had casting, we had done it. And Ryan actually admitted that he goes, I didn't really know you guys would actually do it. He's like, do you know how many people I make offers? Like, let's do this. Years later, they never call me with anything. Yeah, we did it, and then he was like, "Oh shoot, I better go get funding for that movie, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, you better go." And we're, then we're ready did. to shoot it. We we're ready to it. shoot it now. We need the bank account. And he was like, "Oh, okay." And I love that about that story that you know everyone talks and talks, but don't tell John and I something because we're gonna go do it. And yeah. then you're don't make a promise because I. Um, so then we ended up. Uh, Shooting Catching Faith in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. We got Bill Ingville to sign on. That was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the best thing about that movie was the community support. Mm -hmm. Everybody, well, the difference between making, I'll tell you this, the difference between making a horror movie or anything else besides a faith-based is that when we would go into people's homes and have meetings about the film and we'd be like, listen, we don't really have much money. They were like, uh-uh, I don't want your money. This isn't about money. This is for God. And I believe in this project and this story is going to go out there and share love with the world. No, I don't. It's not about the bottom line. And John, I would sit there and go, that's not something you hear very often when you're. So I think that the, the, the heartbeat of the movie was that we're going to do something that's going to be good for the world. And everybody wanted to be a part of that, mm -hmm. whether they got money or not. And that's that was new for us because usually everyone's like, how much money you got? <laughs> how much can you pay me? How much can and, and even cast and crew? Our crew would. Anyone who was not above the line, like our people from New Mexico, had never stepped foot on a movie set. They all came out at the kindness of their heart to be a part of this movie. And then they all did an amazing job. So it's like we stepped out in faith. Yeah. <laughs> Catching, we caught, caught our faith. faith. <laughs> we caught our own faith. But that does that answer the question? No, of yeah, how it no, all... yeah, absolutely. That's, incre that's incredible. Incre and then Bill Ingville came and we got like, we love the story that the town that we called up this RV company and we said, Bill Ingville's coming to town. And they were like, we'll give you the top of the line. They cut the ribbon off this RV. <laughs> it was so beautiful. They gave it to us for free. All they wanted was a photograph with Bill Ingville. Oh, wow. And it was like all those things that we got and gifts that we got were, were made. The movie looks like it's a million dollar budget, even though it's literally we had $75,000. That's awesome. So now you have uh, coming out soon uh, a wish for Christmas. No, that's out. Oh, it's out. Oh, it wish is, for uh, Christmas okay. is out. Gotcha. Okay, so that with Joey Lawrence. Yep. Um, uh, just I, I know it's another faith based film. Yeah. Uh, how to uh, kind of st staying in that same thing? Was it because of the success of Catching Faith that you're like, you know, let's do this again? Yeah. And did you have that same kind of community support? Was it the yeah. same way or was it different in any way? That's kind of like our, our stitch or our, what's that word? I said that wrong. Sorry. Our <laughs> thing is yeah. that we like to work with communities. We like to involve people. We like to give people opportunities where they normally wouldn't get it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so we, Catching Faith was made for $75,000 and it sold for 250000 Huge return on investment right away. So we immediately were able to get investors to come on to us. Mm -hmm. So we decided to do Christmas because Christmas sells forever. And we were told that, you know, if you make a Christmas movie, that's like good long term. It'll keep coming out. You keep selling on the shelves of Walmart. 
And so we came up with this idea for a faith base, and of course, faith base, because we were we had just so I mean, you triple your budget in a faith base, you're not gonna go make a sci-fi because the investors want what just worked. Mm -hmm. So we wrote a faith-based film. And also we're, you know, it's really hard to split your audience. So I do encourage people to pick an audience to go after. And then maybe if you built it so big, you can do whatever you want. But I feel like going from horror to faith-based was hard for us because we didn't get to keep a lot of our, our, our audience. And that's, it's a lot of work. I mean, you're working to build that audience. So I'm not really interested in doing a sci-fi and then a comedy and then a drama. And then my, I have no audience. Well, it feels like the same way if you did the opposite, if you went from faith-based to horror, you probably lose a little bit of that audience you'd as well. Probably right? lose a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially you're gonna lose the kids because yeah. faith based is getting the kids in the seats mm-hmm. too. That's why you need to be family friendly because mm-hmm. that that market is all about the kids. Right. Um, more than even I think the adults don't always go to see them, but they do bring their kids to see them. So mm-hmm. so we came up with this really fun idea for Wish for Christmas. And um it's actually based on my own true story, pretty much, because it's about a spoiled, self-centered senior girl in high school who when the big winter ball moves my story to, as well. Yeah. <laughs> moves to um no, <laughs> moves gets moved to Christmas Eve night. She can't attend because she has to go to church. Mm-hmm. So she wishes her parents' faith away. Right. And it's a mix between Mean Girls and It's a Wonderful Life. It looks you. I, I, you sent us the trailer. I really. It looks like a fun movie. Like it's fun. Take you know. Even if you know, one of my favorite things about a lot of movies, especially superhero movies now, is like if you could take something out, it still looks like a great film. It still adds. This just adds another thing to it i think if this was non-faith-based it's still a good still film a great so adding faith is just an other element to it well i mean i think that's a key to faith-based i, I hate sometimes i wish we didn't have to be in the word faith-based right. we're family friendly it's just that those I, yeah. people believe something that that's mm-hmm. fine so i give you any movie like that's our goal our goal is to make a movie tell a story and then mm-hmm. within the story that people believe something mm-hmm. and a lot of people have given us lots of compliments on our films because they're like i feel like i go and i don't believe in god but i loved it it mm-hmm. didn't bother me it stayed on screen it didn't come out i think preaching is the problem nobody wants to be preached at we have no desire to evangelize people with our movies right we have a desire to tell a story and if people who are believers enjoy watching that because they see themselves on camera right. it's like being like i want to see myself as a woman on right. camera christians want to see themselves represented on camera but you also need to tell a story we tell a story and i think that's the problem is it focuses too much on the message a lot of times and less on the story exactly where we focus on the story mm-hmm. and then the message is woven in there in a way that's a not in your face right there's no need even christians don't need it slammed on their head no one needs it slammed on their head you know um so wish for christmas uh and and was a and our sales rep loved it he's like that's a great idea great concept it's wonderful life meets mean girls and fun it's like a little outside the box it's a leaving outside the box for faith-based you know it's like i think it's different and we want god is not in a box and we were like let's take him out of that box and do something super supernatural that's funny makes a wish she makes a wish and he grants it and then the great thing of the story is that she's self-centered and mean and her parents are really kind and generous so when the wish happens they just become a reflection of who she is and then she's like "Ooh, that doesn't look so good she's like i don't like that that's how i am and then it changes her heart and so it's a, a really great message for kids. And um, we, I, I was in Boston hanging out with my dad talking about this movie. And my father said, well, why don't you shoot it in Massachusetts? And you can use my church. And I was like, well, that's a great perk right there. There's a location free church. And then Massachusetts has an insanely good tax incentive. And they also have a crew base. So we started looking into Massachusetts and we ended up shooting in my hometown. I, all those locations were given to us for free. Mm-hmm. Except for the high school, of course. You have to pay for high school always. 
Um, you're not going to go away with that because <laughs> you have to pay for like the janitor and all that stuff. But everything was given to us for free in Massachusetts. So we decided, here we go. And we went out to Lee Allen Baker from Good Luck Charlie. And she signed on right off of reading the script. Joey Lawrence, we went after a different actor. That actor said no. The agent said Joey Lawrence wants it. I'm like, Joey Lawrence could be my movie. I also forget how old I am. I'm like, how can he be a dad? He's right. like Blossom. I'll be honest. I was the same way. I was like, oh my God, he's playing a dad. He's playing <laughs> so I remember a dad. watching like Joe, the Lawrence Joey. Brothers and stuff like that on Disney. I remember all that. But I was like, whoa. And then Bill Ingville, we wrote him in as Homeless Santa Claus. We sent this. He was like, from here on out, you send those scripts to me. Don't go to my agents. Because you know that sometimes agents hide things from their actors, especially independent tiny movies. And he read it and he we wrote, I mean, he's Homeless Santa Claus. It was Bill Ingville <laughs> plays the best homeless Santa Claus in the world. And he signed on. And then we got a girl named Chelsea Crockett. And that was really smart. Um, people, this is really smart. We um, we didn't go after just any YouTube star. We went after a YouTube star that was 18 years old and her message is faith. Because our audience is 18-year-old girls of message of faith. So we did something very strategic and smart. Because you could go after any YouTube star and go, oh, I just want their numbers. But if they're not hitting your audience, then that's not really going to make any sense. So Chelsea signed on for a small part. And that was such a great thing. Because when she puts up a post, she gets 30,000 hits in a minute. So And it's also 30,000 hits of the audience that's looking for the kind of content we're making. So that's a tip I like to give people that don't just get a YouTube star. Think strategically on how they can fit into the marketing and the plan. And Chelsea became like a really close friend of ours. So now um, I made a new friend. I love when things happen and then you, like Lee Allen Baker is now our friend. I love it. I love it. So that's how Wish for Christmas. And we shot it in my hometown. Everything was free. We shot my graduating high school class. And as an actor who used to be an actor who moved to LA, who got beaten down, I'll tell you the best day ever was walking into my high school auditorium where they're setting up hair and makeup and wardrobe. And I'm like, I did plays here when I was a kid. And now here I am bringing a movie to my town. It's my movie, people. My movie. Like my I did movie. this. I did this. But I got to say 18, what, 17 years later, it was a good feeling. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, it's a champion moment. Like coming was, back home. It was my football champion. The parade <laughs> is happening. Um, so, so you're coming up soon. You have at your own risk with yes. Helena Santos uh, from Miz and the Biz, who yeah. has done other work and uh -huh. has produced several mm -hmm. things. Um, real quick, just kind of how that came about, and it's premiering next next month. Uh -huh. um, you know, just tell everybody a little bit about that movie, just to hype it up and let everybody please, know. Uh, yes, and see this movie. So. We have always been curious about self-distribution, mm -hmm. especially as we've now worked with distribution companies. We've gone through the the Catching Faith has made and done very well. Doesn't always mean that a filmmaker mm -hmm. does well. And that's heart-wrenching when you can see the numbers of your movie and you're still broke. Mm -hmm. So we've been kind of going, well, self-distribution is going to be a thing. I mean, it's pretty DVDs are on their way out mm -hmm. and we need to learn how to do that. So Helena was like wanting to work with us. I love Helena. Helena has an incredible mind for PR mm -hmm. and also one of my best friends. So it was like totally like, let's go make a movie. And um, so my brother, Andrew, came back to write At Your Own Risk. We didn't have time at the time to write it. We were we we shot that right off the heels of. Was that off the heels of making Wish for Christmas. Yes, yeah, so it was. We were making Wish for Christmas when Andrew was writing the script for At Your Own Risk, and uh, we didn't have the time to put in to write the script. So um, Helen, I had her. She got the idea from an NPR thing. We love hearing NPR things and then making movies about it, but <laughs> I don't want to give it away because it's actually I don't want to give away the story. So right. she did hear about this, and we had this idea. It's a cool story, though, everybody. It's, it's really, a cool it looks story. Really great. And 
we were like, I will say, I want to say this for independent filmmakers everywhere. So many people tell me, if I have money, if someone just give me investment, I'll go make a movie. I'm like, first off, have you ever made a movie? You don't know if you can make a movie until you make a movie. And then you don't know if you can sell a movie until you sell a movie. And then you don't know if you can do the, the deliverables for a distribution company unless you've done the deliverables for a distribution company. People get stuck and don't even get their movie distributed because once the deliverables come in, they don't have it or don't know how to do it or don't have the money to do it. So taking a movie from conception to completion on your own dime is so good for you to even look at it as a learning process. Because then when someone gives you an investment, you better know what you're doing and you better finish that movie. That's a lot of pressure. I and mean, we had a $350,000 budget for Wish for Christmas. And we that's a lot of pressure. We have star names. We have money. We can't mess up. We can't, the, the ship must sail. So there was a lot of pressure under that. So it was actually really nice that coming off of Wish for Christmas, we all decided to go to the desert, four of us, and go make a movie. And we were like, no star wagons, no egos, no one else's money. And we just go do what we started in this business in the first place was because we love making movies. So my brother wrote the script. And then Helena, Rick Galley, our DP, John and myself all went back out to John's parents' property in Alamogordo, New Mexico. And we started shooting this, they, uh, this, these two women go on a geocache adventure that goes crazy. And we had so much fun. Now, maybe one more person to like grab things that we forgot at the house after we walked five miles and we got to set, we got down to like the Cobra we we're shooting and be like, anyone have the boom pole? Just one PA. <laughs> Whoops. One, one PA. PA. We always say one PA. I mean, we hiked up an entire mountain in that movie and we opened up the quadcopter case and there was no quadcopter. Oh. We were like, who's running back to the house to get that? Whose job was it? <laughs> Who did that? So, but I will say, well, yeah, John, John's job. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but I mean, I will say that that was so liberating just to go from a big budget to a little budget and go make something for fun. And if you don't love making movies, mm -hmm. this is not the business for you. No, absolutely. You people tell me, I hear expectations so much from people and I'm like, oh man, do, but do you love it? Do you really love it? Because it's not, if financially, it's really hard to make a living off of this if you're not working in the studio system and you're not. Right. And the the value of finishing projects mm -hmm. because when we did at your own risk john and i were very concerned we were kind of like hey we've tapped out our favors right. <laughs> and everybody in this town is like we have done a favor for you already and when your movies are as successful as like selling to universal studios for wish right. christmas then people say well why can't you pay me right but we were telling everyone this is to test self-distribution. So the whole point is that we're all going to own this. Right. Whereas I promise you I won't sell it to a distribution company where you'll never see the back end. Mm -hmm. Even if we sell 10 copies, you have a penny on that. that. And then to, for us to get post-production, a lot of people who signed on for post were, were confident to join our team because they were like, your team finishes. Because a lot of times you do things and people don't finish it. And you're like, I just did that for free or I... Or they didn't remember me when they did the next movie and bring me to the next one. Or yeah, they they didn't get it done and now I did all that work for free and I have nothing to show for it. Yeah. So that there's a huge value in that that also will help you when you do something like at your own risk, which is very experimental, where we need people to take a chance on us yet again. They were like, well, they'll make it. Um, so I want to kind of wrap up <laughs> yeah. uh, talking about um, <clears throat> you, you recently wrote a book. Like I said, it was yes. kind of a memoir slash advice book. Um called uh, create your own uh, create your own career in Hollywood advice from a struggling actress who became a successful producer mm -hmm. um, so just kind of real quick where did the I'm gonna write a book idea come from 
and how long did it take you to write and what was it you really wanted to get across like your main message from the book well so honestly i started writing for ms in the biz helena santos mm-hmm. thing from day one her and i were friends and she invited me to come write for the site right. so a lot of my articles came from that site i did write some more for the book but when i look back at the trajectory of what i've been writing for ms in the biz it was i started ms in the biz when we were in post-production on home sweet home mm-hmm. so actually all my articles were going through my years of making home sweet home and catching mm-hmm. faith and wish for christmas and i was like oh my gosh this is a trajectory of my career and how i did it and sometimes some of my articles are me literally in the trenches homeless trying to make a movie for no money and um i was like you know i should really put this into a collection of a book where people can just read it right through and um like i said people often ask me how did you do it and i'm like it's like we just spent three hours talking about my career i mean that could take like seven hours for me to tell you how i did it Mm -hmm. but but if i i was like maybe i could you know get i I feel like there's a lot of parts of the industry that are very hidden and people don't share that knowledge, Mm -hmm. like especially distribution. Like when I teach my distribution classes, people are always like, thank you for telling us this. Nobody tells us this stuff because they Mm -hmm. think that your success is someone else's success is their failure. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that way. I think the more we give out, the more we get back. Mm -hmm. And um, so my book was just like very um, a great way to give people my story without going to coffee for four hours, but also because I like to be very honest of the struggle of the independent filmmaker. Like I think, you know, you read articles and this is probably why I moved to LA thing. I was going to be a star. You read the articles and variety on stuff and they just skip over the tough parts. Yep. They just act like you just move here and it just comes to you on a silver platter. And what I love about my book is my book is in the trenches of no, 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 no. I didn't just get home sweet home. I didn't just get catching faith. Mm-hmm. It didn't just happen. This is the process. Yeah. And this is the sacrifices that everyone made, not just me, but my entire team. And I think that like it gives you sort of like a window into somebody who's doing it when everybody wants to know how the heck did you do it? Well, here you go. Like read this. These are gives you article the articles on how to do a gorilla film film. How did we take home sweet home from conception to completion? Well, what do you need once you've sold your what do you need once you're going through the distribution process? All the the things that you and you can keep it and have it. So if you need to go back and check, like how did they do this? Because now, because there's and making a movie, there's so many different parts. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not just a month; it's mm-hmm. years of work, and um, it's also really hard. If I sat down here today and we literally went through the trajectory of Home Sweet Home, that's a three year process. So it's really cool that my book kind of goes through that, where people can even even if they're in, say they've shot the movie and now they're in post and they're exhausted. And they're like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? You go to my book and go, okay, this is what they did when they were in post-production. And like, that's really nice that someone can just have that. Because I wish I had something like that when I made homes. Everything I do is I wish that someone had done this for me, you know? And, And I also, we talk about this a lot. We're really into celebrating every win. Because when you make a movie or an app game or anything you're doing. It takes a long time. So every time something good happens, like whether we 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 celebrate every night we come home from a day. We're like, we just wrapped a day. We just have like footage you celebrate. And then, you know, throughout the process of the filming, I recommend like if you you finish the edit, go celebrate. You finish sound design, go celebrate. Because it it keeps you excited throughout a very long process that if you wait till it's all done and complete, you'll be so like it, you'll take the joy out of getting to just every time pat yourself on the back and go, I just got through that process. Okay. And now it keeps you going. It's a long time. I mean, people don't, I mean, it takes years to make a movie. Right. And 
And um, post-production for me is definitely the hardest part. So I'm always like, I, I don't, I don't enjoy it. I don't like sitting behind desks and that's very tedious. Well, I think, you know, like reading your book, it reminded me a lot of the book that kind of brought me here, uh, Making Film for Fun and Profit by Robin Van Grant and uh, uh, Thomas Lennon, where it is that insider's look at how this is done and that step-by-step guide. So thank you for writing that for people that are looking for it. Um, It's available on Amazon for people to buy. And uh, we're hopefully going to be giving away a copy here uh, Mm -hmm. in the the next few weeks. Um, uh, I have a few um, uh, talents or whatever you want to call it here. Um, for each one, if you can just give, uh, as I list them off, just give a real quick piece of word of advice, a uh, word of wisdom for that position or that profession or somebody in that profession that you would offer them if you had two seconds in line at a coffee shop. Pressure's um, on. <clears throat> actors. Make your own work. Nice. <laughs> Writers. Um, write what you know. Uh, producers. Don't give up. And women in arts. May uh, Make films that feature women in strong, positive parts. And also when you get to be in a power position, ca- uh, crew up women. Nice. Go to bat for women. Fantastic. I love it. Um, anything, uh, obviously your book is available on Amazon. Um, at Your Own Risk uh, is going to premiere next month, uh, April 27th. And At Your Own Risk, we are self-distributing that movie. So every click on a buy means so much to us. Mm-hmm. We're going to put it on iTunes first, I think, and then roll out to Amazon because we're testing it. We're going to learn how this all works. But really, um, I just found Catching Faith on YouTube for free, and it had over 340,000 views. That hurts the independent filmmaker. Like, it's awesome that all those people saw my movie, but it's really horrible when the little people, like, that's a lot of money I just lost. So when people put up people's work for free, think about, everyone thinks, oh, those people have tons of money. No, they don't. And when we pirate people's work, we're really pirating from the smallest people, which is me. (laughs) And so it really means a lot if you click buy on any of my movies. Um, Home Sweet Home. Catching Faith, Wish for Christmas are all on iTunes and Amazon. And um, if you buy them, it does support me. Buy so. these films and let us know if you buy them so we can share that with Alexandra. She'll love to hear that. And where That'd can people awesome. find you if they want to follow you on the social webs? Um, well, I'm on Facebook mm-hmm. at um, Alexandra Boylan. And I do respond to everyone. We have a website called mustardseedent.com. Mm-hmm. I respond to everything. I'm on Twitter at aboylan 4 and I'm on Instagram at Alexandra Boylan. And please reach out to me because I like just I just got a really great friendship in my life because a guy heard me on a podcast on Jason, <laughs> Jason Bubecker's podcast, mm-hmm. filmmaking stuff. And he reached out to me. And now we're like friends. And he's actually joined our team for At Your Own Risk in a way. Oh, so nice. you never know how he's he's gonna make our trailer. Fantastic. So you never know how this is we're all getting connected. So Absolutely. email me. I'm super available. Okay, so uh we're going to have you back on for a special team hustle episode to talk about uh, the business yes. uh, of, of uh, uh, running a production company and just selling films and things like that. So uh, I want to, usually we save this for act two. So that, since that's going to be a little later and that's going to be kind of your act two, bef- after Friendster and before Facebook, there was a <laughs> wonderful place called MySpace where people would go and it would take forever for anything to load on somebody's screen because God is one of, what if God is one of us played in the background and the top six or top eight was the most important thing. And if you weren't in the top six, top eight, you weren't friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a great time waster. And one of those great time wasters were quizzes. Mm. And nowadays quizzes have these results and all these stuff. These had no results. It was literally just you writing a quiz for your own self to post on your MySpace. 
I found one of those quizzes, and it's 167 questions. And before we started, I asked you to give me six numbers that you have not seen any of these questions. Now, I don't want any explanations because that's what the, what's fun about this game. I just want you to answer straight, and we'll keep going to the next question. Okay. <clears throat> Alexander Boylan, are you ready for your <sighs> MySpace quiz? I am ready. And here we go. Okay. Oh, gosh. Who was your last phone call? Gabrielle. All right. Uh, most visited web page? Uh, IMDb. If you've had one, what was your first surgery? Uh, my wisdom teeth. Who was your first best friend? Kate Neff. Well, I got to go up to the next one here. Yeah. <clears throat> Have you ever been on a diet? Yes. Did you ever kiss someone? Uh, did you have you ever kissed someone of a different race other than what you are? Yes. That is your MySpace quiz, <laughs> Alexander Boylan. <laughs> See, it has no real result. I That's love, what I love it. I want to play it. again. <laughs> I could here. not remember. I text so much, and I so seldom. I was. I think it was you. I was like, I haven't talked to you on the phone. <laughs> I so rarely talk to people on the phone nowadays. We just text each other. So, okay, since you want to do one more, pick one number between 160 and 167, and we'll do one more. Uh, 160, you'll be our first 167? Yeah, you'll be our first extra 166. question. All right. Okay. <clears throat> it's another kissing question. Oh. Did you ever kiss someone before you were 14? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that is Alexander Boyle and ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. Back to you guys in the studio. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the conclusion to our conversation with Alexander Boylan, uh, and I hope you enjoyed the interview overall. We were so excited to sit with Alexandra and and talk for a while. Uh, you know, her friends even invited us to a barbecue uh, later that night. Like they were just so welcoming, like we talked about in the last episode. And we can't wait to sit and talk with Alexander some more about the process of building a production company. So we're super excited to bring you that later this year. But first, before we bring that to you and we do anything else, I am not alone here. There is someone with me. It is my Lord and Savior, Michael Lutheran. Michael Lutheran, how you doing, buddy? I have been waiting for this introduction for so long. <laughs> uh, I've called you so many things, but now you've got it. Now it's right. Where is my Lutheran church? <laughs> uh, it's been around for a while. Oh, has it? Really? Yeah, yeah. You should, you should look it up. Okay. Because <laughs> I've got Lutheran a list of 96 the... problems that I want people to know about. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think they're very important. I think the society is better for them. Exactly. If you bring them up. Uh, before we get started, Michael, uh, you know, it's been a while, but today we are bringing you a new hustle contest. As we ba -ba -ba -ba. always share with you, we are always evolving, tweaking, and working to make the best podcast experience for everyone. Well, now we'd like your help with that. You have a chance to share your thoughts on the show, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see more or less of on the show in the future. We are going to post a survey on our website that you can fill out completely anonymously. 
When you submit your filled out survey, you will be entered in to win a copy of Alexandra Boylan's book, Create Your Own Career in Hollywood, Advice from a Struggling Actress Who Became a Successful Producer. It's a fantastic and inspirational book with more background on her uh, history in L.A. and what she has learned. Now, that is not all, is it, Michael? No, it is not, Daniel. See, you, the listener, can also receive a bonus entry to win a copy of Alexandra's book by going on iTunes and leaving us a review and a comment. So, to run it down, you get one entry for the survey and a second entry if you also submit a review on iTunes for the show. So, that's two entries you get to win this awesome prize. And, uh, you know, Daniel, I don't know if you know this, but Alexandra actually signed one of those copies. She did. One of those books will be a signed copy of the book. You won't know which one until we draw names. We don't know how long we're going to let this contest last. We want to give people time to do uh, to do the fill out the survey. We know everybody's busy, so this may go on for about two or three weeks just to give everybody time. We want to get as much feedback as possible. So we have a company meeting at the beginning of June. So we're hoping to get a lot of feedback so we can use that to kind of steer the ship after that. So yeah. we're really excited to hear your thoughts. Please just uh, we just be honest and open. We we are we are not super sensitive. I think right, Michael. Uh, I'm I'm a little sensitive, but I He's also I'm I'm curious just to hear you know what people are connecting with on this show. Uh, we've yeah. been going through a lot of changes on the show recently in terms of structure, in terms of. Uh, how we present the interviews, uh, and as well as been kind of experimenting with the length of our episodes. And mm-hmm. so I'm just very curious to hear what people are connecting with. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the questions on the survey are going to range from how do you like the new structure? Uh, which episodes do you like most? Uh, uh, do you prefer longer or shorter episodes? Do you prefer more stuff, uh, more talk from me and Michael? Uh, how's our marketing looking? Things like that. So we're we're really excited to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, when you agree, Agreed. Michael, <laughs> <laughs> I I I would definitely agree, and because uh, it's just always nice hearing from our listeners. Uh, lately, we've been getting a lot of uh, really nice supportive messages from new listeners. So uh, it's which is always, always great, exciting, which yeah. is always super exciting. And so the show's reaching more people, uh, not just here in Los Angeles, but all over the world. So uh, very curious to hear what everyone else thinks of our Hollywood hustle. It's see a slow I growth. Did there. See, <laughs> I, I did. See what I did. I did. I did. It's a slow growth. Speaking of slow growth, Michael. <laughs> the 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 great tra- Daniel transition transitions are back. Um, speaking of slow growth, you had some friends in town this weekend. Yes, I did. Uh, <clears throat> yes, I did. My friends uh, Taryn and Zach. They came in. Uh, they're from you know very cl- very 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 close friends of mine from Vacaville, California. They now live in Sacramento, and uh, they you know we've been planning for the past couple months that they would visit me, and so. It's super nice. They're one of the, you know, few friends that I have that are have been able to afford coming down and visiting me in Los Angeles. Uh LA can be an expensive city, especially if you're a tourist. But mm-hmm. what was nice was that this time they kind of set out like we've already done the touristy side of things, so we just want to hang out with you and see this place that you call home. So Oh nice. They just want to kind of experience life in LA. Yeah, exactly. Like they didn't want to just come down here and then go to Disneyland or Universal Studios. While certainly fun things to do, uh, not things that Daniel or I do on the regular. Um, 
So just took them to some of our favorite spots. I took them to Home State, Daniel. Yeah. One of your one of your pride and joys. Not that you, and you own sent, you, that company. You sent me but, a picture to make me jealous, you jerk. Yes, I I took pictures <laughs> of tacos. And we're not sponsored. This episode is not sponsored in any way by Home State. But, but we are completely open to it. <laughs> but we are completely open to it. And if you live in Los Angeles and you haven't gone, it is amazing. They have two locations. I went to the one in East Hollywood uh, on Hollywood Boulevard. But so, so good. Uh, you can mm. just order individually wrapped tacos and queso. And I Texas had an ice- queso. Texas queso, proper Texas queso. Yeah. True words spoken by a Texan. So uh, they super enjoyed that. Um, we also went up and visited one of our friends in Santa Barbara, uh, which was really nice. Uh, I, I, I haven't been able to visit Santa Barbara too much, but it's a absolutely gorgeous, you know, city by the beach type of uh, town. So really like that. But yeah, it was just nice kind of connecting with a piece of home and, you know, having them tell me that they really love the podcast, like they, they've nice. been listening to it. That They were telling awesome. me that they're excited to listen to the Bean Boozled episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun one. I can't, I can't wait to do that one again. We'll have to do that again sometime. Yeah, but um, uh, it, it was just great spending time with friends. And, you know, I, I checked out a little bit out of L.A. while they were in town. So uh, been spending the rest of the week just getting back, getting plugged in as it were. <laughs> well, uh, fun fact, did you know that Santa Barbara has a, uh, a restriction where billboards can't be over a certain, they, they don't allow billboards in their city. Oh, that kind of makes, that makes sense. They didn't want to obscure any of the uh, uh, views of any of the architecture and yeah. the, the beach there. So they actually, they actually have a law like where billboards are not allowed. Uh, I feel like or, that and should... signs aren't allowed over a certain height. I feel like that should be a rule all over the country. But like I know that Santa Barbara is also specifically more so downtown Santa Barbara. If yes. you're going to have a business there, it has to look a specific way. It has to fit yeah. that kind of Spanish uh, mission vibe. That yeah, they're very big on keeping the look of the city and the style of the city the same. Yeah. So I, it's a gorgeous city. We we walked all over downtown. We walked along the pier. Um, it was, it was just so nice. And the weather, yeah, we this went there, past uh, Angie and I went there last January. So that was, it's a, it's a really nice place. Yeah. And it's only three hours or less away. <laughs> yeah. Depending on traffic. <laughs> on, on, only, only three hours. Yeah. How about you, man? Uh, how is, how's your week been? Uh, it was good, man. It's been really good. Job's going well. Um, this last weekend I was fortunate enough to go to Alexandra Boylan's premiere of her newest movie, which we talk about in the uh, episode at your own risk. Uh, you can Jealous. check out, they have a Instagram at your own, at your underscore own risk. Uh, and then I believe it's the same on Twitter as well. You can go look at some stills from the movie, some behind the scenes photos, but it was really good. They made the movie for, uh, if you take in all the amount that they spent uh, uh, under five thousand uh, dollars, and it's a feature length oh, film, it's an hour and ten minutes. Um, so just to do that in itself with like a four man crew uh, is really impressive. And they 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 knocked it out of the park. It was r- so good, so interesting to watch, so entertaining. Um, it's kind of a thriller. Uh, uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of like a a Shyamalan film, a little bit in some ways. Um, oh, M Night so Shyamalan. Yeah, M. Night Shyamalan, uh, okay. director of Glass. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
but yeah, it was it was really great. Uh, it was great to hear him talk just a little bit about the process of uh, really, like I said, a four man crew, the two actresses and two the director and the DP. That was it. That was who was on set for the most part. And uh, the super director held budget. a boom mic. Yeah, a super micro budget. The director held a boom mic while they were filming, while the other guy handled the camera. They shot some drone camera footage, and they basically shot this whole desert travel film in like a 16 acre span. And so they had to really kind of like find different ways to make the same spot look different as they went through. So because uh, the whole thing is them kind of walking through the desert throughout the movie. So it was really fascinating, really impressive. Uh, you know, congratulations to the Alexandra and her team and uh, Helena Santos, who's a future guest of the show. Uh, they did a they did a fantastic job. And then uh, Saturday, there was a panel on micro budget filmmaking and uh, low budget filmmaking. Uh, with about seven uh, women. It was at the Women in Film Festival. Uh, Alexandra and Helena was a part of that panel, as long as Deborah Lee Smith, who is a former member of the Inside Acting Podcast team, uh, who has been super kind. And we, I've talked to her several times about a few things. And uh, they had some great information from, you know, how hard it is to crowdfund, which we've talked about before, um, you know, making uh, uh, deals and 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 uh, they talked a little bit about like deliverables, which Alexandra mentioned a few times. So I'm hoping when Alexandra comes on, we can kind of rehash a few of those questions just to maybe get a little more in depth of what deliverables are and how they work and and things like that. Because it was really it was really interesting to 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 listen to and hear him talk about. Um, yeah, that that sounds amazing. That sounds so valuable because I know yeah. we we talked a good amount of that in this Act Two interview. Um, Absolutely. But if if we were able to get uh, Alex uh, back on, uh, and maybe with John, who's uh, the director that she collaborates with, and everything, Absolutely. I, I'd be super excited to hear you know the very nitty gritty process, even more so of the filmmaking and the post production side of things. Absolutely. I think one of the big coolest takeaways that somebody said uh, I found really interesting that I'm definitely going to keep in mind, um, especially from a low budget standpoint, somebody asked about, you know, um, what do you do if there's a situation um, when you're editing where you don't have the money to reshoot and there's a problem with something, the camera angle or the it's fuzzy or something like that. And, you know, one of the things I talked about was you have to be creative uh, like that. That just forces you to think out the, outside the box and, that's so helpful as a low budget filmmaker, because then when you start doing bigger budgets, people love you more because you're thinking of ways of saving money and bigger studios and bigger financiers love stuff like that. Oh, um, they love saving money. Mm -hmm. But one of the biggest pieces of advice that I thought was really cool was somebody said that Scorsese in an interview once said that every movie he does, even now, every movie, he shoots two scenes without any dialogue, without any sound. Uh, one's a scene of two people walking away from the camera having a conversation and the other is someone on the phone with their back turned to the camera and he does this so that if there's any issues script wise or with the story where they have to add some kind of fill-in dialogue they have two fill-in scenes where they can just add any adr they want whether through a conversation or through a phone call and wow. this way if they need to That's... explain something maybe that gets missed in the story they have something they can throw in there to do so that is so wild. I didn't even know that. Like, yeah, and he does that with every movie he does. Everyone. And so I thought, I was like, that's that's such a really cool idea. That's so smart to do. So it's like, oh, I'm putting that in my, like, anytime we film something, I'm adding that in. 
<laughs> I, have... I'm just imagining like Peter Jackson using that during Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? why Specifically is, is Samwise on the phone? Why is yeah. Samwise on the telephone? This makes yeah. no sense. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, that's that's kind of been my weekend. Let's uh, let's hop into the episode, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So there was some so many great things talked about throughout this whole conversation. We discussed some of it in the last episode, uh, dealing with uh, celebrating wins and, and not being afraid to go for your dream. But um, definitely a few more things I think we can chew on that came out of this conversation. And first, I kind of want to talk about, you know, uh, she mentions ego a few times in the in the conversation and how you have to kind of realize like it's not about you it's about the art and you have to do it for the love of the art not for your ego or you know for your, you have to you have to do it to enjoy it and mm-hmm. i think that was something that's really important for people to remember is this idea of just putting your ego aside and 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 allowing yourself to ask for help and and reach out to those smarter than you that have a little more knowledge than you do and making sure that you you're not a you don't you don't just close yourself off and think I'm right I'm right I'm right I know it's right I know it's right because that's just going to be stressful that's going to be upsetting and you're it's it just you you take away the the love of film which is a collaborative effort you know what I mean Yeah no I think that is so great and you know kind of going back to Alexandra's Act One interview, which you guys can listen to if you haven't listened to already after this episode. But her ego was the thing that got her to stay in Los Angeles for 10 years, that got her to make so many sacrifices and ultimately led her to not being where she wanted to be uh, emotionally, personally. So an ego can be the thing that costs you so much, especially as an artist, because you close yourself off because it doesn't fit your quote unquote uh, vision of the type of um, work that you do. It's certainly always a good thing to know what kind of stories interest you and stuff like that. But I think it's, it can also be so easy, especially in this town to be like, oh, I'm, I don't do this type of work anymore. And Looking back at Alex's journey, you know, she was here 10 years and she just did not like the person she had become very much what her ego, her ego kind of took over her for a while. So and then she went out to Albuquerque and we got to hear about this amazing story of letting go of that ego and just pursuing the story, pursuing what it is that you love and doing that as the best that you can do, regardless of the money. And that's how she found happiness. I think that's just such a uh, wonderful example of what hap- what happens when you let go of that ego and right. and just pursue that. Well, I just want to I want to touch on something you just said, where you talked about like um, saying I'm not going to do this thing anymore. Um, you know, it's so easy to be like I want to be an actor. That is what I want to do. That's all I want to do. And if you can crunch numbers, if you can do other things why not pursue those as well? Like give yourself as many advantages to be on set, to be a part of a creative venture, like just closing yourself off and saying, I'm an actor. That is my focus. And it, and I'm not saying it's bad to have a focus. I'm not saying it's bad to focus on like acting is what I want to do, but you know, don't close yourself off completely to other opportunities. If you're not acting at certain time and someone comes to you and says, Hey, I don't have an acting gig, but I could use, you know, a grip or, I could use a line producer 
for this. And I know you're really good with that kind of stuff. Would you mind helping me? Like, there's no, what, what does it hurt to get that under your belt, to get that credit under your belt and just get more experience in all the various ways and more understanding of what people are doing behind the camera or doing smaller jobs for friends where it's like, Hey, I don't have a lead, but I have like a, a small part in one scene. Do it. You're acting. You're getting a chance to do what you love, no matter how big or how small or what the position title is. You're still being able to be in that creative environment. You're creating film. So don't let your ego keep you from pursuing other ventures and, and learning new things. Yeah, And, and I just think- saying, I'm just an actor. I'm waiting until that right part, that big part comes along. That's what I'm going to do. You're just you're never going to get anywhere with that yeah. attitude. As a creative, and, and you know, uh, this can, will be my final point on this uh, conversation, is just that as a creative, as an artist, everything informs your work. Whether you're an actor, writer, uh, producer, or director, everything that you do informs the decisions you make when you're in your element. So uh, if, you, if you can gain more experience working on a set, not as an actor... That will give you so much more perspective when you are on set as an actor and finding out ways of how you can help out with production. And it's never a bad thing to be more skilled at other things as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good well, point, brother. I, and, that, and that kind of takes that and kind of with what I said, that takes us to the next point. And the next thing I think is there's no reason, there's no excuse not to make a film anymore. There's just not. If you want it to happen, you can make it happen. They They made this you know, small, this feature film with four people for under $5,000. And if you don't count like some of the equipment, they, the major equipment, they did it really for $800. And even then, if you have an iPhone, some friends and a house, you can make a film. And, And so it's just about being careful and being understanding of if you have a little bit of a budget, just finding ways. And, and again, this goes with having that collaborative group making sure you have people you can work with. So you have just instead of your ideas, you have six other people throwing out possible ideas to help save money, to make a shot work or to make it look as good as possible. And I think that's just important to remember. Absolutely. And I think that's also, you know, connecting this to your, the first point, this is so, it's so much more important why you need to be open to doing work that isn't, your specific element because you know if if you're only an actor and you only treat yourself as only an actor you're going to have so few opportunities because you're not trying to write material for yourself if you close yourself off with your group of friends you're not going to be able to make these you know short films or you know these whole long feature length films if you only close yourself off to one specific path so i think uh kind of combining both yeah don't have excuses you you don't have an excuse anymore to not pursue the thing that you love if you're a writer what's your excuse for not having a script or a book or anything like that so I think it's all about budgeting your time and being open and allowing yourself to just explore yeah It's, it's like you said budgeting your time it's scheduling yourself in the day saying from this time to this time I'm going to write from this time to this time, I'm going to schedule a call with this person and this person to figure out when we're going to shoot this film that mm-hmm. somebody else wrote. Um, Steven Soderbergh just filmed his last film, uh, Un- Uninsane, I think, Unsane. Um, he filmed that whole thing on iPhone uh, 7s. 
The whole thing. Really? Wow. Yeah. He filmed the whole thing on iPhones. And so there, there's no excuse. There's just not anymore. You can say, well, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have this. And that. If you push yourself, and, and I know there's a lot that goes in it, but you just have to sit down, make a list of everything you need. I need to do casting. I need to do, uh, we need to figure out locations. We need to do this. And just take it one step at a time. Yeah. Have the script. You know, have the people working with you and just have that list of these are the things that need to be done. Yeah. I'd shout out to Marcus Friedlander from season one of the podcast. But I remember a conversation we had with him years and years ago was that, you know, you have someone who has it like a red dragon who films a scene and then you take someone else who shoots the same scene, but with an iPhone. And ultimately you sit down and you still have to do post on it. Sometimes it's you know, the person could have shot with the red, but the person who shot with the iPhone knew what they were doing. They knew what their limitations were and were able to use it to their advantage. And that scene looked better. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, shoot a movie with the phone, man. We're at a golden age of technology. And, and, and one of the biggest, I think, pet peeves, and I think Michael can agree with us too, with Los Angeles is as far as creatives go in Los Angeles, there's a lot of talkers. There's a mm-hmm. lot of, oh, I've got this, I'm going to do this, or I want to do this, or I want to do that. I should do this. I should do that. But then you you look at their Instagram and they're at the beach or they're at a club all the time or they're all, you know, and it's not, it's not a bad thing to go out. It's not a bad thing to go to the beach or go to a club or go out with friends. But then you ask them the next time you see them, like, hey, what progress have you made on that thing you talked about last time? Oh, I haven't, I haven't even touched it. I just haven't had time. And it's like, oh, I mean, from your Instagram, you've had a lot of time to do some other things. And it's it's just one of those things where you've got to schedule it in. It doesn't happen unless you put it in there. That's just the basic. That's that's the that's the that's the point. It doesn't happen unless you put it in. So I I think let's all make an agreement right now. (laughs) All together, everybody put hands in, guys, hands in. No more talking. Just doing. All right. On the count of three, just do. One, two, three, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. (laughs) Thanks, Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, uh, Mike, did you have anything you wanted to share or any insights that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, definitely. So I kind of took this opportunity to just think of this whole interview as a whole. So both act one and act two. And I think the big takeaway I have is that the only way to succeed is to fail forward and just keep going. It's it would have been so easy for Alex to have just given up on acting and creating altogether uh, by the time she left Los Angeles, but she kept going and she kept failing at times. You know, she would be working on a set with just herself and maybe a couple other friends finding out, oh, we don't have this specific crew person, so I have to do it. Or, you know, finding out as they're editing their film that, oh my gosh, you can either see this equipment or this didn't go the way we shot. But as you were just saying, Daniel, you have to learn to be creative and just go with it. And it's so important to look at moments of quote unquote failure as more so moments to learn and moments to succeed. You <laughs> To another throwback of our, our most recent guest, uh, Trevor Algott, of great, you found out how to not do something. That's wonderful. That's a success. So 
I think it's just so important as you keep going on your journey, everyone, that you are going to fail. There's going to be moments when you're going to hit a wall or you're going to trip and be like, wow, I didn't know that. Rather than letting that be the thing that sways you or uh, pushes you away from your passion, let it be the thing that keeps you going. I know as an actor, I love the moments when I'm in a performance and a mistake happens. Not like the the show completely goes off course or something, but something unexpected happens and it allows you as a performer to be more natural in the moment and allows you to think on your feet. So just keep failing forward. Don't let it be a failure that ends you. Let it help you keep moving forward. Absolutely. Find, always find ways to take a failure or to take a moment that just didn't work out to better yourself and mm -hmm. better where you're going. It's so easy to get angry and upset and down and depressed and be like, oh, it didn't work. And why didn't it work? And ah, but if you, if you take a moment and just like, all right, what can I learn from this and really just meditate on it and really take it in, you'll find something that you've, you've learned from this experience and, or something you've gained from it, whether it's new friends, new contacts, uh, a, a new trait or a skill. There's so many things that you can learn from failure and just using that to motivate you forward and making sure that you know that one day that failure is going to turn into a success. You know, that that should drive you. That should keep you moving forward as well. That's perfect, man. I I, I love this entire interview. It's been such a joy having Alexandra on. Absolutely. Uh, and. and and once again, just remind everybody, we are doing a contest for her book and her book has even more information in it and, and, and more details about where she com has come from through L.A. and New Mexico. So when you know, make sure you go on our website, take take that survey, go on iTunes, leave us a review so you have a chance to win this awesome book to just give you more information from her. Yeah. And again, you can be entered twice for this contest if you leave us a review on iTunes as well. Um, Absolutely. And if you want to hear more from Alexandra, uh, how I first learned about her was through Inside Acting Podcasts. She has Absolutely. like a three-part episode series on that podcast. So just go to InsideActing.net and her episodes, I believe, are like in the 180s. To yeah, they're, early, they're early episodes. Yeah. And, and, and definitely take a listen because there's definitely a few things that are commonly shared in both our story, our interview with her and theirs. But there's definitely some stuff that I, I made sure not to cover because it was already covered in Inside Acting Podcast. So definitely go there and check it out so you can kind of fit more pieces into her puzzle and, and get a get a better idea of who she is for sure. Definitely. Um, so every week we have started to. Uh, uh, give out a supportive statement, usually, again, based around some one of the themes or concepts that came from the interview. And this is just to give you a little something to walk away with for the week, to maybe just to meditate on and inspire you to create, to build, to, to grow, and to strengthen your hustle. Uh, and so I'm going to start out with my hustle statement, and then Michael will give his. <clears throat> awesome, man. I'm ready to learn. <laughs> That's learning time. As we have said from day one, Hollywood Hustle is here to inspire, motivate, and maybe teach a few things. We offer our full support to anyone taking risks, working hard, and pushing through the tough times for their passion. One thing I feel that is often overlooked in the discussion of passionate, goal-filled pursuits is answering the questions, 
Why are you pursuing this goal? And what do you wish the end result to be? Whether you're an actor, writer, producer, etc., are you looking for fame and money? Are you looking to change the world? Are you looking to just bring art into this world? What anchors you through the rough and twisting journey, the, the driving force that lets you cry on the side of the road and then go into another audition or writer's room interview? Ego and, and the search for self-gain, those strong motivational forces can just as easily begin to blind you to the things around you, the people supporting and helping you along the way. Eventually, the true passion and love you feel for your goals will fade into something translucent, translucent and empty. Fame and riches are external rewards with nothing else to drive you. I don't believe you will ever truly feel a sense of fulfillment in your passion. So as you go to workshops, you read books, you run sides and write drafts, ask yourself what anchors you into this journey? What makes it worth it for you? Once you find it, question it, test it, hold on to it, and never lose sight of it so that not only can you achieve your dream, but you can be proud of every moment within that journey. Bam. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there needs to be like a ha-ha, like, like some yes. sound effect, <laughs> like that boom, like a drop, mic drop or something at the end of that. I won't actually drop a mic. Please don't, Daniel. <laughs> don't. Uh, no, these are expensive. <laughs> yes. Uh, but that that is perfect, man. I think those are questions that you should always ask yourself whether you're at the beginning or you're already in the journey and stuff. There's, there's certainly ones that I've been wanting to ask myself lately. So I think those are really important, man. With my hustle uh, support statement, I was thinking about this. With the daily stresses of life, whether that be bouncing between three part-time jobs, working the nine to five, finding out how to pay next month's rent, or how to memorize your lines, it is so easy to let that infiltrate your goals and your perspective and your expectations. But one thing that our guests on this show keeps teaching me and reminding me, especially Alexandra Boyland, is the power of easing up on the steering wheel that is our lives and to allow yourself to enjoy the ride, enjoy your life instead of focusing so much on the expectations of you. And at least based on my experience here in Los Angeles, it's the times in which you let go that the universe provides you with what you need. That audition, that booking, that phone call that you needed. Let go of the fact that you alone cannot get to where you want to be. But if you let life happen and let it guide and direct you, then you'll get so much more in return. That's, that's so important to remember. It's so important to remember to take every moment and enjoy it. That's something I've been working on recently a lot is like making sure to enjoy the moments mm -hmm. and, and not thinking too far ahead or worrying about something that's coming up too much. Like letting myself enjoy the time with my kid and my wife or enjoy the time at a restaurant with a friend. Like just making sure you're in the moment and living it for a minute. Yeah. Having my friends down here this past weekend was like, there were some moments where I just felt that, uh, that controlling side of me that was wanting to steer the wheel of like, Oh, I need to go do this. Oh, I need to do that. And then it was also that moment of like checking it. Like I hear, I hear you, Michael, I hear what you're saying, but some of your best friends are in town right now. Just be with them. Yeah, and absolutely. I was able to enjoy their time and 
hopefully they enjoyed their time with me. Um, but it's just so important to to break your mindset of like, oh, it's just industry, industry, industry. No, be open to life because it's so much more, as we've learned with relationships that you build with people, that's how you'll end up getting the work that you eventually want to be doing one day. Well, and I think it's important to remember like creative jobs or the creative field is really in a lot of ways can be a 24 seven thing, whether it's, it's not constant, but there are like me and you, I, I you may text me randomly at a, like 1130 at night about a podcast issue or <laughs> something going on, or I may text you with an idea or a question. Um, and so it's, it's, it's easy to let that part take over your life. And so you have to be really con- cognizant about making sure to find a nice blend in your life so that yeah. the creative ventures aren't always your thought because you're just going to get exhausted. Mm-hmm. You need that time to just not think about the podcast, not think about the, the auditions or the, the submitting for auditions or the draft or whatever. You've got to take that time for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's so important. And, you know, we would love to hear what you thought of today's interview with Alexandra Boylan. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast and on Twitter at LA Hustle Cast. I can be reached at Michael Lutheran on all platforms and Daniel. He is at uh, at D Tuttle on Instagram and at Daniel Tuttle on Twitter. And that's T-U-T-T-E-L. And as always, you can shoot us an email to hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. You know, if you like what you're hearing, if you're loving what you're hearing, please like, share, retweet about this episode. And again, leave us a review on iTunes, especially over the next few weeks, we'll be holding this contest. So leave us a review there and also submit your thoughts to us on our survey. And and Michael, uh, people are loving our uh, new side hustle episodes. Woo! They, awesome. We are getting so many uh, uh, replies and responses about how they're just inspiring ways to start the week. They're short. They're 12 to 15 minutes long. That you know These short episodes, they give you a preview to the upcoming full episode. We release them every Monday, and it's just a great way to start your week. And our hope is that this will not only build the excitement and interest for the newest episodes, but also give those who maybe have trouble finding time to listen to our longer episodes a chance to at least get some of the information in a shorter span of time. So make sure you're you're checking out these side hustles as well and just starting your week with some wonderful knowledge bombs and inspiration. Yeah, and those come out every Monday. Every Monday. And don't forget to share this and all our other episodes with your friends and family and fellow artists who are just looking for inspiration to kickstart their journey. And if you've been listening for a while and want to give to The Hustle, visit our website and on the bottom of the homepage, you will see a PayPal button that allow you to make a one-time or a reoccurring monthly donation to the show to support and help us grow and help us expand and just make this even better for you guys. Yes. And and finally, a huge friend of the show and next week's guest, Beth Ryan. She's a fantastic casting coordinator. Uh, she's recently launched a Kickstarter for an amazing and emotional documentary called Feeling Seen. It's a documentary exploring how film can influence uh, society's view on society, especially a particular group of people. Beth Ryan interviews those who, like herself, for years only saw that loving another woman means that you're a degenerate, gross or criminal. 
She looks to examine how art can influence acceptance and show that love is love and all love and all people are just that people. So we implore you to click on the link in the description of this episode and to check out her preview and donate whatever you can to this wonderful film. And as I just said, her episode is coming up next week. Daniel, do you want to share with them a little bit more about Beth? Absolutely. Coming up next week, we introduce you to casting associate, casting assistant, Beth Ryan. In Act One with Beth, we discuss how she used to take binders and fill them with pictures of actors to cast her imaginary movies and things that she wanted to put her own dream cast in. We talk about growing up and uh, entering LA and just rising through the ranks of a casting associate. We talk about what is a casting assistant. We talk about what is a casting associate. She's worked on such shows as Master of Sex. Uh, she worked on a short called Mother's Day. She worked on American Gothic. She's also worked on the new, uh, most recent shows, Netflix's Altered Carbon, and uh, Amazon's upcoming Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan starring John Krasinski. So do not miss this awesome episode as we delve into the world of casting, what it means to be a casting director. And I, it's such a great episode. Do not miss it. Thank you so much, everybody. We hope you have a fantastic and productive and fun and exciting week of living in the moment, putting your ego aside, finding opportunities, and making them your own. Michael, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure, as always, talking with you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. And until then, please always remember to keep Keep up up the the hustle. hustle. Today's interview was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced by Michael Lutheran. Arnobi Day is our social media and community manager, and Gordon Meacham is our associate producer. Mike Tobias edited our website. For more information, visit our website, www.hollywoodhustlepodcast.com.